Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Ruminations of Red Rum, the horror podcast of the Ruminations Radio Network. I'm your host, Kyle, with a K. And today, we have joining me the superhero of the Ruminations Radio Network, the deep throat monster, stretchy boy who just got back from fighting Dr. Doom and saving the San Francisco Bay. It is the one, the only, Brendan Jesus Ortega. I love to hear it. How's it going? Good. I am <clears throat> I am currently in New York City on the eve of 9-11. Uh, so I'm here just in case... Uh, uh, just in case the world needs saving. Why can we take that back, Mitch? No, and also joining us <laughs> to set the tone for the rest of the episode, gentlemen. Uh, sorry, I had this gentleman. I, I don't even know where to go with this. Uh, <laughs> I'm flabbergasted. I don't know what just happened. Um, hey, I blacked all, out what happened. Where am also, I? also joining us, we have the spooky boy, the paranormal one. The episode one Phantom Menace of the Ruminations Radio Network. Ian with Boo. How you doing, Ian? How's it going? Gabagoo. I had an identity crisis the other day. Let's talk about um, it. Yeah, let's talk about it. Is it your so haircut? I, no, it's not my haircut. <laughs> okay. You mean my... <laughs> Uncut hair. <laughs> Your lack of haircut. Sorry. My lack of haircut. That or, as well. Or, or it's whatever you have trying to grow out of your chin. <clears throat> it kind of looks like a a soul patch. He's going full 2000s right now. It like, kind of looks like. He's got the long hair. He's got the soul patch. He literally looks like the main character from the Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2003 when he's driving <laughs> in the car, the driver of the vehicle. He, he kind of looks like him right now. It, it kind of looks like he was running away from Leatherface, tripped in the dirt, and like ran his chin along the dirt and then got up and started running again that's actually a pretty <laughs> astute observation uh I'm so kidding. can you elaborate on your identity crisis <laughs> i don't want to talk about it anymore <laughs> <laughs> oh please talk about it i'm not even a full cup of coffee in folks <laughs> um i don't know i'm like third generation italian and i never really embraced <laughs> the my heritage and um I don't know. I just feel like a typical white American. You kind American. of feel like a poser. You kind of feel yeah. like a poser? Yeah. So, my, like, my family definitely pushed, like, the Italian heritage on me, but I never really showed any interest in, like, that side. But, yeah, I don't know. And I, I kind of regret it now, but also at the same time, like, learning about, like, really the only thing I learned about the Italian Americans in school was, like, the mobsters, the fucking gabagoo, you know, like, all the bad stuff. And I'm just like, why would I want to be, you know, why would I want to be like that, you know? Have you ever thought, I, I can understand how maybe in hindsight you feel bad about it, but you're, all jokes aside, you're 24, you still got time. Uh, it's, uh, at least you're recognizing it now. And you're not 50 and you're like, I wish I would have done that. Do you, do you have like a, a sons of Italy around you anywhere? Uh, I don't know what that is. Oh, okay. Maybe that's a Pennsylvania. Is it like some kind of organization? 
It's just like <laughs> it uh, seems like it's some like JCC kind of thing. He's asking you to join the mafia. <laughs> yeah. Um, but no, you still got time, man. You still got time. But also, you're your own person. You forged your own path. You are who you are today. Exactly. You're and, a very unique person. Yes, who just happens I, to I'm also be a poser with bad haircut. You know. <laughs> <laughs> See, so, I was trying Brennan, to say let's something. Let's throw then. it back to you, Brennan. Let's throw Thank it back you. to you. Brennan, do you got any recs for us this week or um, anything you'd like to get off your chest or maybe put on your chest? I don't know. I'm coming in hot. So before I get into something very negative, um, I do want to say I did something positive. I did something for myself. <clears throat> I bought my tick myself a ticket to go see Jeff Rosenstock live, who is my hands down favorite musician of all time. Uh, and there's a really good guitar player. Her name is Sydney Gish. She was opening for him. Um, it was a fantastic night. I got really drunk, went into the city by myself, saw a show, stumbled home. It was the perfect day. That sounds like a perfect night. Um, and now one of the bad stuff. You guys know how much I dislike Adrian Tofa. I don't dislike him. I just think that he's very full of himself. The guy that did uh, uh, Be My Cat, a film for Anne Hathaway. He made a film one, for Anne Hathaway. That's what it's called. That's what it's called. Oh. Yeah. Um, he made one movie. He made a very mid movie that, uh, <clears throat> and because people who only like found footage movies um, have no taste whatsoever, um, he made a movie that was half embraced by the hardcore found footage. Ian, you like other things than just found footage. I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to at you on that. Uh, <laughs> So he's very full of himself because he made one mid-movie and hasn't produced a single fucking thing since then. Um, he posted on Facebook and he also tweeted it, so I got to shit talk him twice. Uh, he posted about how none of the big, uh, no film festivals um, care about found footage movies. And then he listed five like really big film festivals um, that is in no attainable goal really, for independent filmmakers, uh, except a rare select few. And he, he was like, no, no uh, festivals except these ones care about uh, found footage. He's obviously trying to get his foot in the door, and he's also trying to do it for shitty engagement. And that's just simply not true. These festivals that he's looking at are the ones that cost a lot of fucking money to get into. If you look at things like uh, the festival kind of near you guys in Austin, Texas, fantastic fantastic fest coming up they're premiering vhs 85 um over the past year i've seen films and festivals like malibu horror story uh invoking yell uh, a couple years ago we got we're all going to the world's fair sure that one premiered at sundance but it ran the entire festival circuit he's acting like these festival these horror festivals don't give a shit about found footage movie except these few select ones that he wants to get his next shitty found footage film in uh, which, by the way, the trailer released, and it's garbage. It's literally nothing. Um, What's and, the name of the film? Uh, we Put the World to Sleep. More like We Put the Audience to Sleep. That's going to be my letterbox <laughs> review. Um, and it's just I, just, don't, I just don't understand why he's so full of himself when his output has been little to nothing. Um, I literally started typing and we put the audience to sleep in YouTube <laughs> on accident. <laughs> Sorry, good. Um, no, I mean, I mean, that's all. It's just, it's so disingenuous of him to think that he is the fucking Quentin Tarantino of found footage when at the most he's a UA bowl. 
well, if we get another one star on iTunes podcast, we <laughs> know who it's from. We know who it's from. Do you feel better now? No, because there's a lot more I want to say, but for time, I'm not going to say it. That's fair. But, okay. Well, this is part um, therapeutic. So if you need yeah. to take the time to do this again, I mean, you're more than welcome to. Ian, Ian, Dewey's, uh, talk to me. Do you have anything new going on in your life? Do you have any weekly recs? Um, not really. I'm tr- just trying to run a train on a bunch of manga. Right <laughs> oh, now. God, I didn't know what you were saying. next. <laughs> and, um, um, but I did have a question for you guys. Uh, definitely horror related. Uh, are you more of a fan, or which do you prefer, Over the Hedge or Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs? Haven't seen either one. I've only, I remember watching uh, Over the Hedge at one point, I think when I was in like daycare, maybe. Mm-hmm. Maybe at some point it was on in a setting like that where I was around a lot of other younger, very younger people. Um, uh, but I, I do, I do. So do like Ian's so young. Yeah, so like Ian's everyday life. Uh, so I don't I've know. never seen either one of them, but um, it kind of came out at a time that I Why'd was already. Stay <laughs> Why'd you have to stay away? <laughs> um, Sir Gilgood. Yeah, no, they came out like what 2010 ish, right? Uh, yeah, like yeah. Okay, yeah, so that was, like, the stage of my life where I wasn't really watching a lot of movies, a lot of animated movies in particular. Like kids' movies. Yeah, I wasn't really watching a lot of kids' movies. You know how you kind of go through that, like, wave, or at least I did, where you start out, nothing but kids' movies, obviously, because you're a child, then you get to that peak, like, late teens, early 20s, and then it dips down mm-hmm. for a while, and then you kind of kind of crawl back up a little bit, and I was kind of in That's that That's where I'm at right now. You're on the crawl back up? I didn't watch like uh, things coming out in that range were like Coco and Conte, right, Frozen right, Two, right. stuff like that, which I just didn't see. And uh, now uh, I'm at an age where I, I I realize that I missed out on some pretty hyped movies and would like to go back and watch them. Yeah, definitely missed out on Frozen Two. <laughs> Frozen Two. <laughs> oh my god, that's hilarious. Um, well, cool, cool. Um, but yeah, no, I don't have an opinion on them though because I've never seen them. So, like, do, do you have somewhere you're going with that? Uh, it was just the wrong demographic to ask that question. Uh, at work, it's been mostly uh, over the hedge, which I find a little surprising. I love both movies. I think I'm more towards the Cloud with the Chance of Meatballs. Though. Well, let's it hear has your Bruce thoughts Campbell. on it. As someone who obviously has a strong opinion about it, <laughs> why, why is Cloudy with the Chance of Meatballs so much better than Over the Hedge? And is there a, like, team? Like, like, like are there sides? Like, is there, like, a... Okay. Think there's a team uh it's just and it's not i don't even think it's nostalgia because i watched both movies probably the same the same amount i remember over the hedge being like a a, a, a backpack camping movie for sure it was always right. there um uh over the hedge uh some of the pirates of the caribbean movies and then um lion king always always in the bag um always in the camping bag uh you would then take vhs tapes camping um so we had like a toy hauler we would go it, it was camping but you know we would oh, like gotcha. ride dirt bikes and stuff like okay. that up in like uh buoy or uh, yuma uh places like that um and yeah both movies are fantastic i just think the humor 
hits a little harder for Cloudy with a chance of meatballs, but stacked cast for over the hedge. I think it has like Bruce Willis in it, Steve Corral. Um, great cast. Oh, Wanda Sykes is in it too. Avril Lavigne. Uh, I'm just, I'm not even looking at the cast right now. I'm just naming names <laughs> right now. It's, it's crazy. William Shatner as the, as the dad possum. Go ahead, Cal. It's time for the movie. Well, no, Kyle, how are you doing? Okay, you're right. You're right. <laughs> Remember how we had to talk about the inconsiderateness of uh, Ian <laughs> yeah, earlier? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just shines through when it can. Uh, no, I'm kidding, Ian. Uh, I'm doing okay. Um, I've just, I have literally not been up to anything except for working my ass off um, to save up for my vacation next month. And then um, I've just been just balls deep in Starfield, man. That's all I've been, that's all I've been really doing. Um, I did rewatch Mortal Kombat. I'm getting excited for the new Mortal Kombat One game. So, in uh, preparation, I'm gonna go through and watch as many of them as I can. I started Annihilation yesterday, but I had to immediately turn it off because I just couldn't do it. But I I need to sit through that film again because uh, they they bring like I respect the amount of like fan service Annihilation tried to bring to like. A huge audience by really bringing in these like niche, like deep cut characters from the Mortal Kombat roster uh, to the big screen. It was cool to see, but just the execution was just terrible. It's like it's like when fan service just is misguided and it just ruins it rather than amplifies how cool it could be. Um, but yeah, can I ask a question? And <clears throat> this. This might sound, I, I hope this doesn't sound mean, but what appeal do you see in Mortal Kombat? What appealed to me what? What, what appeal, like what appeal does Mortal Kombat have? Uh, like the game or just the property in general or the movie or what do you mean? Uh, I, I, I think more the game. I mean, at the time when it came out, uh, it was an arcade fighter, right? And arcade fighters were huge in arcade games. So it got popular off of that. It was, you're a Street Fighter fan or a Mortal Kombat fan. That's kind of how it was back in the back in the 90s. That was even before my time because I didn't even play MK1. In, well, I played a little bit of MK, MK2 in the, in the arcade, but um, it wasn't until like Mortal Kombat 3 and then they released the Mortal Kombat trilogy, which I got like super into. But it's just a really good fighting game, and it's set in a really cool world with cool characters. And um, fighting games were huge back then in the late '90s, and so um, it just has a lot of really cool lore. Like if you get into it, like mm. the reason why the tournament exists, and uh, you know the whole good versus evil saving of the world. It's like there's a lot to it for being just a fighting game. Like fighting game, like Street Fighter didn't really have the lore until they started making the animes and stuff like that. Uh, but Mortal Kombat uh, had it right off the bat, and it was like a really cool, you know, premise and stuff, and it had a really cool just like style, and it was dark. It was like the the cool person's fighting game when when Street Fighter was more about the uh, like the technical side of it. But gotcha. Um, I could just I could just never get into the games. I I tried playing the arcade games. I like the movies. The movies are fine. Yeah. Um, I just something about it. I j- I just think it's not my type of game. Yeah, no, I suck at fighting games in general, but I love them. Uh, Mortal Kombat 1 could be a good jumping off point for you because 
it's a reboot of the whole franchise. Like they're naming it one. They're restarting the timeline, and it's a fresh story, but all the same characters. Same characters. So yeah, like I haven't played a Mortal Kombat game. Like I haven't bought one or played one in like five or six iterations. It's just now with this like reboot of sorts, it just looks awesome and it's a good jumping in point. And I yeah. think it's smart that they did it too because they were on like MK12 or 13. And yeah. at that point, you have the hardcore fans that are, you know, following you on the journey. But for all the new people, it could be intimidating to jump into mm-hmm. something that late. And uh, I think it's it's smart for them to reboot nice. it. But nice. yeah, today we're talking about the 2003 film the texas chainsaw massacre as we ramp up for our not ramp up we're in it we're 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 in the middle of our remake month uh and we hope you guys are enjoying i want to go back to 2003 because it was a pretty pretty good year not for movies as a whole but definitely for horror movies um just rattling off the top five box office performances for horror in 2003 number one was freddy versus jason Two was the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and it came out in October. So just within those two months, it it skyrocketed up the up the leaderboards, as the gamers say. Three was Gothica, four was Final Destination Two, and five was Twenty Eight Days Later. Um, but Twenty Eight Days Later—that's the second one. No, that's the first one. That's the first one. Yeah. And the I more had a terrible time with Gothica, so I don't think I'll ever watch the movie again. Yeah, go back and listen to our episode. I, I I actually can't remember which episode it's on, but that's the one where you got like really high, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was like the worst movie to put on. <laughs> so let's jump right into it. 2003, Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake. Let's get into some fear facts. In 2001, Michael Bay... Uh, through his new low-budget production company, Platinum Dunes, decided a reboot of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre would be the film to kick off their new company. With Kim Henkel and Toby Hooper on board, first-time filmmaker Mark Nispel would be picked uh, to film his directorial debut. Uh, the script, written by Scott Kozer, uh, this is his screenwriting feature debut as well. Um... And I've been having a difficulty pronouncing this this guy's name. Um, Andrew Brian Nias, the guy that played Leatherface. Uh, his name's Andrew. You can look up his last name if you want. Uh, he would be cast as Leatherface after the original actor, actor was fired about lying about his physical prowess and getting injured on day one of filmmaking. Uh, to prepare for his role as Leatherface, he would do nothing but eat brisket and white bread until he reached a whopping 300 pounds, on top of which they would put a 120-pound fat suit on him, making him 420 pounds, um, which I think is incredible. Um, While uh, Nispel wanted to film this in California, uh, Michael Bay insisted on filming in Texas to keep the authenticity of the first film. Um, Shooting would take place over 40 days in Austin, Texas. The Texas Chainsaw Massacre would make $10 million on its opening day, an incredible $10 million, um, and would make a total of $29 million in its opening weekend with a worldwide gross of $107 million. Texas Chainsaw Massacre was the film that made the mid-aughts reboots uh, a thing, uh, but without leaving you hanging any longer. Hey. 
let's get into it. How do you guys, before we get into our thoughts about this film, how do you guys feel about the original? Do you guys have any sort of feeling or feel any sort of way about the original movie? I, uh, I met the guy that did the stunts for Leatherface at a, a, um, a horror convention in 2012. And I have a signed photo of him, but I don't really. Of the stunt guy? Yes. Yeah, it was the stunt guy. That was like, I met my friend's brother's sister's yeah. roommate <laughs> and we hung out for a while. <laughs> but, um, uh, uh, but the movie, I don't really. It's fine. It's, it's fine. fine. Okay. Ian, what about you? Um, fantastic original film. Uh, it's great. It's, it's, it's uh, a horror classic for sure. I think it's a little, um, I think it, I I mean, even saying it gets brushed under the, again, like horror fans is kind of like a stupid thing to say because it's, it's a pretty big franchise, but I don't know. It just doesn't stand out to me. Just at a video game. (laughs) Yeah. Just, and it just at a video game. It just doesn't stand out to me as much as, um, like Scream or uh, Friday the 13th or uh, Nightmare on Elm Street or Nightmare on Elm Street does. That's a that's an interesting point. Like, why do you think that is? Because even for me, like, I gave the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre a 5 out of 5 on Letterboxd. And I, I truly believe it's a 5 out of 5 movie. But it doesn't carry the same, like, power and weight of a lot of other, like, big iconic horror movies like for example like i always make this kind of example is that like taxi driver to me is like a five out of five movie but i don't necessarily enjoy it that much like i don't i'll never probably purchase that movie Mm -hmm. and i may watch it again in my life but i think it's a five out of five film like why do you think the texas chainsaw massacre has like that thing going for it i i think i know exactly why it's if you look at Nightmare on Elm Street, it starts a bit tongue in cheeky, but it's still a very serious, I don't want to say grounded, but more grounded than its later iterations are grounded for a nightmare killer. Is that um, like the first movie? Compared the first to the one. Others? Yes. Okay. Yeah. And then as that film, as that film series goes on, they get a little kookier, a little funnier. And then by the end, you have you have a comedy. Basically, um, uh, uh, Jason, uh, Jason, Jason, Friday the 13th, um, they kind of establish a serious tone with very innovative kills. So they were able to build their franchise on that. You look at Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the second film that comes out, well, I prefer the second film wholeheartedly over the first one. The second one's a, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 is a straight up comedy. Uh, it completely uh, derivates from the path that the first one tried to create. And then you look at the third one, the Generations one with um, McConaughey and um, what's her name? Renee Zellweger? Yeah. Be wrong. I think so. Um, no, that's you it, look yeah. at that film, and you, a copy of that is so hard to buy because for the longest time, everyone was like, this is a shitty movie. And just because a few, uh, uh, a few uh, Joe Bob fans say that it's a cult film, it's now apparently become a cult film because it's been named that. Uh, so I think that it it didn't it it started off really strong. I will say, granted, for the time, it was a really strong horror film, and then it just couldn't follow up with that same tone, and I think it turned people off. 
Yeah, franchises that kind of lost their way, lost their identity, or maybe couldn't find the identity and stick the landing. I think that's that that's the Texas Chainsaw Massacre in a nutshell, honestly. Hundred percent. Because then in this movie, they try to go full serious again, yeah. um, but something like uh, Friday the Thirteenth, I it really didn't get funny up until like uh, Jason, Jason X. X. Jason X. Jason X. Jason takes yeah. Manhattan has a lot of humor in it, but yeah, um, but. Yeah, that's interesting. That's still eight movies deep into yeah. the franchise. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about our first thoughts, mm-hmm. our full thoughts on the Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2003. Brendan, we're going to throw it over to you first. Uh, where'd you watch it? Would you add it to your collection? And what do you think about this 2003 remake? I watched it. I have the... Uh limited edition chainsaw collectors edition uh it's this like nice thick uh kind of black box and when you pull it out um kyle do you have the the hot fuzz like four disc collectors edition that came out like right after the film did where it's like four discs and it comes out like a a police wallet i do not no, no oh okay so um it's pretty much just like that where when you open it, it kind of comes down like a, a three-piece centerfold, and there's a yeah. huge chainsaw artwork on the background, and then there's the booklet, and then two discs. It's awesome. Nice. Um, so I watched my DVD of it, because physical media always fucking rules over anything else. Uh, so this is another one of those films, kind of like uh, The Hills Have Eyes and The House of Wax. Uh, this was one of those AMC... Uh, uh, Fear Fest, Sci-Fi, Thirty-One Days of Halloween, uh, films that whenever I saw it on the schedule, I would watch it, uh, because it just gives me that early to mid two thousands feeling of Halloween with uh the leaves on the ground, and I'm just repeating myself from what I said last week, and it's kind of a uh a easy way to get out of that, but um yeah this even though this might not be a very good film, um, it still fills that nostalgic void uh, that makes me not feel like I'm a 29-year-old with no direction in life. (laughs) Fair enough. Um, Ian, first thoughts? Would you add it to your collection? Where'd you watch it? Um... I would like to not answer where I watched it. We're we're going back, you know. I'm I'm back on you. I tried not to touch the drug, but I'm relapsing. Um, I would add this to my collection. What? <laughs> I would Did you watch add it this. on Tubi. No, if you can't put two and two together, Brennan, we'll, oh. we'll talk about it after the cast. Oh, okay. <laughs> nope, I get it. Um, this I, is streaming on so many things that I don't not. have. It's not actually though. Is it not? Okay. It's actually not streaming on anything. Oh. Yeah, yeah. It's not streaming on anything. My bad. My bad. Um, And that's why I watched it that way. Oh, yeah, I'm sure that's why. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm a cheap motherfucker. (laughs) Going back to my Jewish heritage. You know, that has followed me through my adult years for sure. But um, I would get, and I do want to go on like a chainsaw, I almost said chainsaw, man, Texas chainsaw run. Um, too much manga. Uh, Texas Chainsaw Man Massacre Run. Texas uh, Chainsaw Man Massacre Run. Massacre Run. The Revenge. The Revenge Part <laughs> Two. The sequel. 
Um, I just haven't gotten around to it. I don't know why. Um, and it's probably due to the identity crisis that it had throughout its franchise. Um, this movie so maybe boring. now's the perfect time for you to watch it. I mean, watching this movie maybe not that. want to go watch the, the series. It's pretty boring. Um, I've seen, I think, like this is my fourth, no fifth Texas Chainsaw. I've seen the the 3D one with uh, uh, Alexandria Daddario, the beautiful, and um, this one, and then the original one, two, and then the remake. Um, but I'm just not. Uh, I don't know. There's there's something about this movie that it does scream early 2000s just with its uh, editing style and the whole like grainy feel with it. And even uh, being a kid, I remember watching this trailer and thinking that it was going to be the scariest film of all time. Just that um, the trailer is amazing, uh, by the way, um, for a whatever I was at the time for like a seven year old. Um but and i watched it before i've seen this movie before and uh i'm just sad to say it i don't know this movie just frustrates me i'm sad to say that this does not live to my childhood and um i'm disappointed that i we'll, do not appreciate this movie we'll circle around to why it disappoints you in a second but yeah i there's there's going to be very little I could add to because Ian kind of said word for word how I was going to probably describe this film. Um, hashtag, I saw it in theaters originally. So, um, Flex, I did see this in theaters. And uh, I don't own it. Um, I rented it on Apple TV for like two, three bucks. And I'm not sure if it was the rated. It said the rated edition because there wasn't an unrated on Apple TV or to run anywhere, but it seemed pretty gruesome. So I don't know what it really could have added with the unrated stuff if there is one. But there's something about this film that rubs me the wrong way. And out of all the 2000 remakes that I've seen, it's the one that I've seen the least. I remember seeing it in theaters and then maybe one other time in my life after that. And Going back and watching it this late in the game, I can see why it's it's the one I've never really had the urge to go back to. There's something about it that this movie has like an identity crisis of its own. It comes like there was a point in the film where I had to like turn to Dom and I was like, "Wait, is this like a reimagining? Is this in 2000s or is this set in the 70s? I can't I can't yeah. tell." And she's like, no, it's it's a remake. It's set in the 70s. And without the cars being there, a few of the cars and stuff, I would have completely believed that this was set in 2003. And I I couldn't understand, like, like the vibe it was giving off was just very, I don't know, it was it was almost like phoned in, like it like it was like copy pasted, like an AI made their version of a Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake. Now it sounds like I'm coming off way too hard on it because it does have a lot of personality. Um, there are some really cool shots in the film, particularly when the girl shoots herself in the head and it zooms out through the hole and like does mm. the backdrop and they get out of the car. It doesn't cut. That's a really cool shot. Or when she's coming out of the bushes uh, towards the end after getting chased by uh, Leatherface and like the camera follows her out of the bushes in and does like the huge scope. It, it has some really cool technical shots and there's a lot of uh, flair to it. It's got a good cast. 
there's just to Ian's point, there's something about it I can't put my my finger on that just that just doesn't click with me. But would I add this to my collection? Yes, I would add it to my collection just to have it in my collection and kind of be a, a completionist in that sense. Um, but so far, um, I think it is the weaker of the remakes that we've covered in this month. Um, now, due to the nature of how I feel towards this film, there's not really a, a path conversationally that I want to take right now. So do you guys have anything that you want to kind of go over? Because we could break down the characters, we could break down everything, but Brendan, we're just going to start it off with you first. What's a good jumping off point? Um, so if we're looking for some direction for the conversation, I do think that um, we would uh, it would benefit us most to talk about the opening of this film, which is one of the most, even though I'm saying it, the film's fine, this opening is one of the most memorable openings to a horror film I, I, I think I might have ever seen. It's a killer opening for sure. And I think this is like it is one it's <laughs> one of the things that makes this not a fully shitter film. Like it has its moments of being a really good horror film like this kill, this first kill. Her pulling the fucking uh revolver out of her pussy. It was there, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah, but you didn't have to say it like that. <laughs> out of her vaginal uh pockets. Well, you also don't have to say it like that. <laughs> Out of her present pocket. <laughs> um, and then shooting herself in the face, the camera pans out of her mouth, which looked fantastic. I don't know how they could have even done that. Like, it looked so real. Uh, yeah, I think it was um, just uh, basically uh, painting over a few shots or maybe the uh, the back windshield because uh, I didn't watch any of the special features, but maybe the back windshield wasn't there and that was added digitally. Yeah, yeah, that's what I think it was. Mm. Yeah. Oh, yeah, because the back window does change. Mm-hmm. It does but change. It, it's, it's incredibly impressive. And I think with, with uh, even though, you know, low budget, Michael Bay would, <laughs> I think, shell out a few extra bucks to make sure that their first kickoff film was as, as uh, visually stunning as possible. Super unexpected, and I wish, the, honestly, wish they saved this shot for another movie. For this scene, what do you mean for another movie? Like you just wish this? Like I don't know. I just I kind of don't want to watch this movie just to see that first scene. Like it's such a memorable scene compared to the rest of the movie. What well, do you think? I, it's it's pretty iconic. I so, think. Sorry, Brendan. Go ahead. When I was going to kind of change course a little bit, so Kyle, whatever you were going to say. Well, I was just going to say, how do you guys feel about the change-up of like, the hitchhiker being the victim rather than it being one of the killers from mm-hmm. the original movie? Because that's kind of a big plot thing that kind of changed. Wait, is the hitchhiker in... Is there a hitchhiker in the original that's in on it? Yeah, so the hitchhiker... And he's in the video game, too. Uh, he's the dude with... The, I think he's got something... Uh, like a scar on his face... Mm-hmm or something and he has yeah. like the pocket knife and he whips out the pocket knife in front of all the kids and they're like oh what is he doing kick this guy out and he's, mm-hmm. it turns out he's part of the family okay i don't remember that but i what i was uh, kyle what was your question no it's, it's okay go ahead move on 
Um, Ian, you said you you say it's kind of boring, and I I can kind of get with that under my blanket of fine, but I do think that this opening kind of sets off the tone that this is going to be a very gritty film and for a film you're seeing under from a, a Hollywood label is going to really not pull any punches and I think this film does a good job at creating that tone from the beginning and carrying it through to the end like when she has to kill her friend or um you know I, I think uh even when when Leatherface gets his arm cut off, like that looks pretty gnarly. So it's weird because it has those gory moments, but when it comes to kills, it shows practically nothing. Um, and I think I I don't know why it does that. Like it shows the guy getting his his leg uh, chainsawed off. It shows Leatherface getting his. Uh, well, it doesn't really show it, but. Um, it shows like his arm falling off his his body and like the arm still being attached to the chainsaw. Like those are real and, and the opening are really gory moments. And then the kills they just don't show. Like I don't understand yeah, what, why. What kills do they show on camera aside from the cop and um, the friend? And the friend. The, and the friend. Like, are there any kills on camera? I can't. Like, I genuinely can't remember. Uh, yeah. Um the when she's fighting leatherface in that like cabin type thing but and even that like it just shows his face and then his his head just goes down and that's it that's true Maybe. I, like we're left to interpret what he what, what what did he even do to that to that dude hanging on the the chandelier he gave him raspberries until that could have been a cool kill what i thought he was going to do because i haven't seen the movie in a while what I thought he was going to do was cut him in half while he was hanging. Yes, that, cut him from that's what I, up. Yeah, that's what I thought was going to happen. But then it was pretty anticlimactic, that kill. And I was like, okay. Yeah. Like, that that kill cuts him. Oh, I'm, I'm assuming he was going to cut him from Gooch up. Um, that would have been a fantastic kill. I guess he... I, I really don't know what he did to him to kill him, but um that dude dies that way the hitch the girl who they picked up in el paso um she just dies in front of the car we don't get to see her even her body or what like he does to her he just like points his chainsaw to the ground she's dead the boyfriend how does he die he just gets captured he dies off camera i think we see his face on the other face yeah he dies off camera i'm pretty sure what do you guys think of this film's interpretation of Leatherface? Like his overall aesthetic, um, and just like the scenes he's in. Like how? Like, do you guys think that this version of Leatherface is the superior version over the original? I don't think we really get to see any uh, like emotional moments from Leatherface compared to the original film. Uh, in the original, he's more of like a. Uh, probably like mentally handicapped kid that they just brought up to be like an evil being and they just fed him stuff uh but in this one i can't really tell if he's just like some angry hillbilly or uh like what his identity is well the mom gives a little context like you know he was you know picked on his whole life because of his face deformity uh by you know kids like you quote unquote 
um, which kind of sets the uh, motive for his his whole thing. But yeah, it, it doesn't really establish any kind of personal connection between Leatherface and the audience for them to even have a glimpse of being able to relate as to why he's doing what he's doing. Whereas in the first one, I think it does, to your point. I think yeah. it, it, it dives into the family a lot more in the first movie. And I think they actually, not to get too off topic of uh, Leatherface, but I think it it tries to explore way too much of the cop in this. Way too much of the cop. Like, he gets most of the screen time in the entire movie, I think. Then you would not like Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the beginning. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's the Which, sequel. Or that's prequel. the sequel, or the prequel to this, but it's a sequel chronologically. Or, like, it's a prequel chronologically, but it came out after this film. Yeah. yeah. And it's also directed by the guy who did the remake of Friday the 13th. But, um, Brennan, what do you think of Leatherface's portrayal in this movie uh i like it i i think it's uh i think it's a lot gnarlier um see i'm i'm a huge rob zombie fan i love hellbilly shit yeah, and too. the ian to what you were saying um it does feel like the original uh leatherface was uh maybe a more <laughs> offensive portrayal of someone with uh certain intellectual disabilities and this other face just feels like a hellbilly to the extreme. Like you said, he was made fun of his entire life by kids like them. And uh, he's just like, fuck it. What do I have to lose? And he's done this his whole life. So I like it more. I do like when he puts the boyfriend's face on. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I think that's a cool moment. Um, but overall, I mean, there's just not really a whole lot of uh scenes with leatherface and like i can't really see any real emotion from him i think less running and screaming from jessica beale and more leatherface would have been nice although yeah jessica beale is extremely attractive in this film but only in this film <laughs> not like you're in a what's that adam sandler movie is now she in an Adam you. Sandler movie? Now pronounce you Chuck and Larry. Is she oh, in that? Yeah. 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 Oh, when. Yeah. Yeah. You, yeah. You. Yeah. I feel like this film went from kind of exploring the family and their whole operation to they kind of turned it into one long chase scene. Like the last mm -hmm. half of the movie is just a a full on chase scene. Um, I think a lot of the depth that the original characters had in the first one kind of got thrown to the wayside on this on this film um what do you guys think of the kills and the gore we kind of touched on it a little bit uh i think kills we don't really need to go into because they were all off camera or whatnot and weren't that satisfying but how do you think they did with the uh the overall like graphic nature of the film the gore and stuff the practicals look great mm -hmm. i think um, and then like there's little extra things like Leatherface putting uh, I don't know if it's salt on that dude's like nub yeah um, and then the plastic wrap and that, that was cool and uh, I could I'm, honestly the the whole performance of that dude on the hook like I could feel his pain I felt like I could feel his pain like when he was moving around or when he was like uh, trying to get off the hook and he couldn't and he kept like going back into him that was a uh, that was some good acting I I like the uh, the kind of how it it tells you it tells the audience what's going on where 
uh, either just a little bit before or after we see Arlie Ermy wrapping up the dead girl's body in from the car in Saran wrap, and we have Leatherface wrapping this guy's leg with Saran wrap. I like how there's that little where if you had never heard of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre before, um, you didn't really know what was going on. I feel like that is a nice little touch to let you know that they're obviously Leatherface learned it from someone and we just saw who he learned it from. Yeah, I didn't even notice that. That is a good moment though. Did you guys notice who the little boy was? Yes. It was, uh, what's his name? I was looking. I did not. Don't watch the videotape, Rachel. Yeah. Oh my God. Rachel, no, it's not. Rachel, don't watch the tape. <laughs> no, yeah. it's not. It is, yeah. It's a kid from the ring. And this would have came out yeah. around that time, too. So um, he was making some back to back films, which was pretty cool. Wow. But a horror icon. Dude got typecast from childhood that he was just going to be the creepy person in movies. <laughs> that happens, man. But yeah, as soon as I saw him, I was like, Rachel. <laughs> Um. Wow. Uh, real. Quick, Do you think? Like, hold on. Hold on. Oh, yeah. Actually, go ahead. What? No, you can go. Okay. Um. So, for an audience that grew up with this film, this film being their definitive Texas Chainsaw Massacre, if they've never seen the original, would you recommend that to them? Like, how how do you think they're? Because I've seen some threads where, like, this is the only Texas Chainsaw Massacre they've seen, and they love it. Do you think those people that have only seen this one and love this one can go back and appreciate the original? Obviously, there are people that will, but I mean, like, do you think the majority of them, like, do you think the like, like, the love for this movie can carry over and transition to that one? Yeah, I I think it's kind of like someone who I'll use Leonard Skinner as an example because they're in this movie. Just because you wear a Leonard Skinner shirt doesn't mean you have to like Leonard Skinner. Um, but I think if you are going to wear a Leonard Skinner shirt, maybe you should know a song or two by them. Um, I think it's kind of one of those things. Just because you like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake doesn't mean you have to have seen the original. But I do think, even though I think the original is whatever, um, I do think people should see it if they watch this movie so that you know what the source material was kind of grown from right i feel that way about games too yeah. where like people that are into horror games i'm like go back and play the ogs even though mm -hmm. you may not like them as much even though you may not like be into them and uh, you know appreciate the things that we appreciate back in the day it's cool just to see the foundation of where everything started from and mm -hmm. then you'll start to see a lot of things that are like oh that wasn't an original idea it was actually taken from this and there's things to appreciate for sure it, yeah foundation that's the word i was looking for thank you I got you. What about you, Ian? I can't really think of an instant where, because this is, I mean, this is, you know, around my time where I would have been watching a bunch of remakes instead of the origins. Um, right. But I can't really think of a film that I watched an original from and liked more than the original. I, the, I watched I watched the remake the, for and I and I liked the origin. What about Haunted of the Dead? Um, even that, like, uh, up until you showed me the original one, um, and I, I mean, after watching the original one, it's clearly far superior. Yeah. Um, and it's a near perfect film. So I can appreciate that. So the answer is yes, they should watch the original. Let's get into our final thoughts and rating. 
Ian, we're going to throw it to you first. What are your final thoughts and rating for the Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2003? Other than Jessica Biel being an absolute peak attractiveness, um, I think I even like her in this more than uh, Blade Trinity, uh, which is a personal liking of mine. Even Ryan Reynolds, smoke show, absolute smoke show. Him and Amityville Horror, I cannot wait until we cover that because he is peak. Um, this movie is just overall like up and down. It has some really good moments, but it also like they just fumbled so hard on the kills. And uh, uh, to what you said, Kyle, like I honestly didn't know if this was supposed to take place in 2003 or the 70s. I kind of figured it took place like in the 2000, 2000s. But they also reference, like, oh, I hope they play Leonard Skinner, but that's just so simple. Too simple of yeah, nods to too really simple. distinguish. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm going to over... It's, it's kind of a boring movie. I'm going to give it a three stars out of five. I'll give it a heart. I'll give it a heart. Three stars and a heart? Okay. Brennan? Uh, so it does say in the beginning that it's 1972. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, I love how the whole episode, because I could tell he wanted to say it with me too, when I went on my rant about how I didn't know which, the whole time I could see in his eyes, he's like, this stupid motherfucker. <laughs> um, the, the, the two last things I need to say about this movie, and then I'm just going to give my number. Um, one of the funniest, the funniest line in the movies when, uh, uh, Arlie Ermey has them wrap up the girl's body uh, and he says, I got as much respect for dead bodies. Anyone around here? And then they go to put the body in the backseat yeah. and says, hey, get that goddamn thing out of the backseat of my car. Yeah. Um, you know what this movie was missing? A memorable score. But that's because it takes place. In, you get one Leonard Skinner song. Uh, I think that they should have spent a few extra bucks to either pump in some big name 70 tunes or something like that. And I think that kind of would have amped it up a little bit. Uh, I'm going to go with Ian as well and give it a three. No heart. Mm, no. Also, okay. in a Texas in a Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie, why would you pick Sweet Home Alabama? End of my thoughts, Kyle. I said it in the middle of my viewing, and I'll say it now. This movie's pretty boring. Um, there's a reason why I never revisited this film after seeing it initially. Um, I do like the cast. To Brennan's point, the main uh, pro to this film is it does bring out my 2000s nostalgia. Like It brings me back to a time where I was watching this film in theaters and just being young, the good old days like it it's got all those vibes and so i appreciate it in that sense um i like the idea of this being someone's definitive texas chainsaw massacre though i i like the idea of there being a generation where this is their texas chainsaw massacre i think that's kind of cool and i like the portrayal of leatherface in this film uh i think he was way scarier than in the first he's nimble he's fast uh He's he's pretty terrifying, um, but overall, I think there was way too many uh, cons to pros in this film, and 
for me, I have my Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and that's going to be the original. But that being said, I'm going to give this movie... I'll be generous. I kind of want to give it a 2.5, if I'm being honest, but I think that's going a little too low. So I'll give it a 3 with no heart. So it's going to get a 3 with no heart. And before we get into not only America's favorite game, but the world's, we're going to take the official Ruminations of Red Room thicky, juicy piss break. I thought you were going to say pissy. Thicky, juicy, pissy break. Uh, we'll be right back after this announcement from our sponsor, which is us. Hey, kids, it's Don Shanahan from the Cinephile Hissy Fit, one of the podcasts on the Ruminations Radio Network. If you've been enjoying this show, come listen to Will Johnson and I fight it out over cinema's best and worst on Cinephile Hissy Fit. Find us and all the great shows over on ruminationsradionetwork.com. And welcome back to Ruminations of Red Rum, the official podcast of the Ruminations Radio Network. We hope you enjoyed that advertisement from the RRN. It's time to get into not only America's favorite game, but the world's What's in the Box? The game where I read a film description from Letterboxd.com where our... Shut up, Ian! Where our... Where my co-hosts have to guess the title of the film based off the description. Title. They then have to guess guessing the average score Fuck, dude. You guys are throwing me off. I was trying to just roll into it. No hiccups. And then I saw Ian's face and I just couldn't help. But okay. All right. Let me back up. It's now time for what's in the box. The game where I read off a description of the film from letterbox.com. My co-host have to then guess the title of the film based on the description. They then have to guess what the letterbox average rating is. And if they guess within 0.3 of the average rating, they get a point. They then guess the decade of the film. If they get that correct, they are awarded a second point and move on to guessing the year where they can obtain a third point. Gentlemen, are you ready? See. Say whatever. Oh, well, see, I was thinking I say C and then you oh. say whatever. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, it's passed. It's all. Okay. We'll get it next time. You can't keep a good cop dead. Detective Roger Mortis is killed in action while investigating a string of mysterious robberies until he's brought back from the dead with a chemical company's secret reanimation technology. Now, he has 12 hours to solve the case of his own death before he dies and stays dead. I'm pretty sure I can see the... um, poster for this film. It's like a badge going up to the to the poster and like a zombie hand holding it, right? Am I right? I'm gonna say I'm right, Kyle. I cannot confirm or deny. I'm I, gonna I don't say... know this. Really. Uh, I think you're wrong, though. Oh, okay. I'm I already say forgot the two point eight. Yeah, two point two point eight. I'll stick oh, with that's it. That's a great guess. I'm gonna go two point seven. <laughs> Brendan gets awarded the point. It is at 3.1. Guess the decade. 80s. It is an 80s movie. Brendan gets the second point. Guess the year. 
Um, wait, did Ian even get a chance to guess the decade? Nope. This is 1984's Maniac Cup. That is incorrect. Uh, this is the 1988 film directed by Mark Goldblatt. It is Dead Heat. Ooh. Dead Heat. I thought it was Maniac Cop the whole time. I figured you guys would think that. Number two. Oh, it is. It's it's the it's the one you're thinking of. Yeah, got the badge and the zombie hand holding it. In the farthest reaches of space, something has gone terribly wrong. Set in the 22nd century, when a battered salvage ship sends out a distress signal, the seasoned crew of the rescue hospital ship Nova 17 responds. What they find is a black hole that threatens to destroy both ships and a mysterious survivor whose body quickly mutates into a monstrous and deadly form. God. I know we covered this, but I, uh, I'm going to go 3.3. Oh, this one is rated higher, isn't it? Well, since you did it last round, I'll do it this round. 3.2. You guys are both incorrect. Guess the decade. Wait, what's the, what's the rate? 3.0. Oh, I'm sorry. 2.2. 2.2. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. This is not so what I was that. saying. Was. Definitely wouldn't guess that. It is not Event Horizon. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> uh, I'll say 90s. I'm going to say 2000s. Ian gets a word on the point, or he has a board on the point. Yes, I got a board on the point. I got a board on the point. Guess the year. Um, God, I think this you is. You tie it up. You can I tie think it up. this is the Dennis Quaid absolute fucking masterpiece. Um, if it is what I'm thinking of, I don't know. Uh, 2006. That is incorrect. It is the 2000 film directed by Walter Hill, Supernova. It is now 1-2 with the final question. Are you gentlemen ready? Yep. Yep. Is it magic or wholesome slaughter? A TV talk show hostess and her boyfriend investigate a shady magician who has the ability to hypnotize and control the thoughts of people in order to stage gory onstage delusions using his powers of mind-bending. Okay, this is the Leprechaun 3. Um, gonna go 2.6. Can I ask a question if this is a film that I've rated in the past six months? I did not see. I know it's one of two movies. I just don't know which year. Um, Ian, what'd you say? 2.2? 2.6. I'm going to say 2.4. You guys are both incorrect. It is at 3.1. Guess the decade. Damn. Uh, 70s. I have to get this. You can tie it up. I have to get this 80s. Brendan gets awarded the second okay. point. Guess the year. It is 1977's Wizard of Gore. It is the 1970s film. 1970. 
Directed by Herschel Gordon-Lewis, The Wizard of Gore. That puts Brendan in the lead for this round. That makes the year-to-date numbers Kyle 6, Brendan 12, Ian 9. Brendan is just taken off with it at this point. How do you feel, Brendan? feel great. Uh, my jars arrived. That's all I got to say. Hell yeah. This has been another episode of Ruminations of Red Rum, the shitty remake of the Ruminations Radio Network. If you like what we're doing here, please follow us on Twitter at OF Red Rum of Red Room. I'm all over the place today. Also, please rate and subscribe on iTunes and Spotify. When we get to 100 reviews on iTunes, I'll we can become asshole. Rotten Tomatoes certified. Oh. So please please help us out to get to that 100 rating mark. We're We're currently sitting at around 37. So help us out with that. I've been your host, Kyle, with a K. And also joining me, we have the spooky boy, the Phantom Menace, Ian with two E's. Um, Michael would have been the little kid. I feel like Rachel, don't watch the tape. Rachel. And also joining us, we have the stretchy boy, Mister Fantastic Brendan Jesus Ortega. Mm, one day that's going to be true. Uh. Hail Ratma. Stay spooky, folks. I need a second. Texas Chainsaw Master.